Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mike, for putting this together. I know you guys have been jamming, so we'll make this a really quick, fun panel. I'm Raba from Triple Whale, um, the CMO over there. We are the fastest growing Shopify app ever. Shopify just put a big B route into us as well. We do SaaS analytics. So if you have a Shopify store and you want to make more money, you can install us. Been a really cool vibe. My first time as a CMO has been really awesome. I've been in marketing forever, worked at Whole Foods, running the paid media recruitment vertical. I did a bunch of agency life, but it's not about me just throwing some credibility indicators out there to make sure everybody knows that I know how to drive the bus. Before we jump into the panel, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, just a little quick, like 30 second intro, what you do, what your business does, and then we'll get started. Sweet. Thanks, Ratla. I'm Michael Shoemake. I'm the founder of Atlas Coffee Club. We're a coffee of the month club where every month we send you coffee from a different country and tell you the story of where it's from and what you're tasting. Only on D2C, a subscription business so only so far, but definitely hearing Brian and crew talk about retail expansion is, I feel like those questions were tailored to me. So, Mike? Hey guys, my name is Mike Lee. I'm the co-founder of Soul CBD. We're a CBD wellness company. I have a little bit different path. I was a professional athlete for 10 years. I was a fighter. I had 22 pro fights, a decade of getting punched in the face, which I'm glad I don't have anymore, have to deal with anymore. And it's really the genesis of the company, looking for all natural solutions to anxiety, sleep, pain. My sister and I co-founded it about four years ago. I ended up retiring about three years ago. And like I said, grateful for it. And we're growing and super grateful. Also a recent Austin transplant and a hell of a surfer. Moved here a month ago. Uh, my name is Rick Wittenbreaker. I am CMO at a apparel brand here in town called Howler Brothers. Saw a couple hats in the audience earlier, but we are omnichannel. We have two of our own stores. We're in about 600 stores across the country, and then we do the bulk of our businesses online. And before that, I'm the non-consumable on the consumer side up here. Not food and bev, not lotions and potions. Sell more what y'all would consider hard goods. So before this, I ran marketing for Yeti for several years and just have been around in the Austin scene for a minute. Awesome, thanks for that guys. All right, we're gonna jump right in. Most of this will be through the lens of D2C, but we'll also touch a little bit on retail, possibly some Amazon stuff, but I'll just make my way down the line. We'll start with you, Michael, and then Mike, and then Rick. Just basic question of how do you think of acquisition and retention? For you, it's probably gonna be a little different because you're in that subscription business. For Rick, it's gonna be a little different in terms of apparel, you have retail, you have these other, and then you have CBD, which has a lot of headwinds and paid media. So you guys are gonna get a big spectrum of answers here, but Michael, how do you think of acquisition and retention? And is there any North Star metric that you base your whole market marketing departments and or business around? Yeah, it's a great question. I think for most businesses, you need to think of them in conjunction with each other, right? You can't set acquisition targets without knowing your lifetime value and or lifetime value is a function of your retention. For subscription businesses, that math is pretty straightforward. It's how long, how many months is someone to stay on? What's the average charge per month? What's your kind of gross margin? And that kind of the sum product of that gets you your LTV and then acquisition, lots of considerations around what you pay per customer based on your kind of payback profile that you want. So broadly, that's how we look at it. And that kind of dovetails nicely into what our North Star is. So we usually look at our LTV to CAC ratio. LTV, again, being gross margin dollars per order times AOV times the number of months people stay or the number of shipments people stay. That's our North Star. Like we set different targets based on our cash and how much we want to grow and wait different channels based on their return profile, which is a function of their mix of business. Quick question before I get to Mike. How do you modulate the intensity of acquisition? Are there certain months where you pull back, other months that you don't? Do you use cohorting for that? Like how do you think of how to deploy your marketing capital across the year? 
That's a great question. I think it depends a lot on anytime you launch a new channel, there's going to be a learning curve for that channel. And there's a percentage of your spend that goes towards stuff that you expect to be pretty consistent. You're not really trying to learn new tactics, funnels, creative, but then there's always a percentage that you're experimenting with. And then as long as all of that kind of rolls up to your overall target and you have your cash to run that growth, those are kind of the three things you would you would think through. But again, it also depends on your business's goals. If you're trying to expand into retail, you might want to run e-com a little bit more profitably. Yeah, it really depends. Mike, you have a few different headwinds that other people up here don't have to deal with in terms of CBD, et cetera, et cetera. So tell me how you think of new customer acquisition, how you think of retention, et cetera. Yeah, another boxing analogy. We have to fight with one hand tied behind our back. Paid wasn't even an option for a long time. So for us, we wanted to start the brand community first, brand second. And what I mean by that is my sister had a big following and generally we have a female demographic. And what we did is found out her following and derivatives of that and really made like an incredible affiliate program. And so we started very grassroots. We're not BC backed, but we came out the gates really profitable, not even spending a dollar on paid ads for the first year and a half of the business because the community really grew. And we found that we had such a loyal, you talk about retention, we had such a loyal community because we focused on that community every single channel. So for instance, customer service, we consider that a sales channel. Like we really invested in customer service and making sure whether it's IG or email or any type of different way for them to contact us that they can. And also I'm never going to compete with Coca-Cola, with Nestle, with the big dogs. So it's what's our differentiator and we're a brother sister brand. So for us, it's having that one-on-one -on -one, like intimate experience with our customers, even as we start to scale. So whether that's videos on our website or me and Angie hopping on IG lives, just the other day we did a refund sale, which essentially we chose a bunch of people on IG live that bought during that day and just refunded their entire order. It sounds crazy to give back money, but it literally was three to one in terms of the sales that came in versus us refunding. It's a way for us to get connected and people were like, oh my God, I'm crying. I needed to chose really big orders. So once again, we just always go back to community first brand second, because we don't have the dollars or the bandwidth to compete with the big dogs. So for us, we've scaled with a really loyal customer base and it's worked so far. I love that. Probably gave the CFO a heart attack with a refund sale. What the hell is that? No, you're not doing that. Shut that down. My sister like Oprah, she, you get a refund, you get a refund. And That's I'm, I'm over there having a little bit of a heart attack, but it was, it ended up working out. All's well, it ends well. All right, Rick, how do you build that big Haller Brothers empire? What do you guys think of in terms of acquisition retention? You know, apparel's a little different and uh, it's more, and when you guys have a, if you have a food or beverage or a CBD oil or whatever it is, it's a lot about create not just awareness, but getting people to try it and then coming back and asking for it. And apparel is a little more subjective in a sense. And it's, you could go buy three shirts, which for you might be a big purchase that may still be a relatively small piece of your wardrobe and you only do laundry once a month. So that's only three days that we get to play in that. And it just is a different formula. But, and so the way that we look at that and approach it is we have a big belief around brand and that brand is not, brand is not a company and brand is not a product. A brand is really the personality that you embody. And for us, that is a lot of how we interact with people, a lot like what he was saying, but also what we give them, what we, portray what we project up there and for us it's really all about it's very kind of aspirational in the sense of we want people to see us and or see our brand or our product and think of 
those good, happy places, maybe a vacation, maybe a fun, cool spot or being with your friends. And so that's really what we're always trying to convey. And for us is a very distinct reason why it's brothers plural in her name and not a singular thing is because it's about we and not me. Everything we do is really with that in mind. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the challenges slash tailwinds, depending on how you look at it, is that the guy, these are consumables, right? So I'm eating it, I'm putting it. There's definitely a lot of intimacy putting something in your body, for sure. Don't get me wrong there. But there's a lot of kind of risk reward, right, with people putting something on their body to promote you constantly. And then you, you want to be aligned with their ideals. You want, And it becomes this very, very intimate feeling like you... I'm super obsessed with like anti-marketing with like crazy luxury products. And it, you can get to places where it's, it can be counterintuitive, but keeping the community and the, your users front and center. People take you or your products. You can project an image and a, here's what we are. It's this circle right here, but they will take you into other places. And a lot of times that can be great, but a lot of times it might be shit that you don't want to be a part of, or, oh, that's a little weird, or I don't know how to deal with that, or. But it happens, and sometimes it's okay, and it's great, and it can be positive, and you find this little tribe of people over here that love what we're doing. Or sometimes it's, we're going to play that one low or try and stamp that one out or whatever. But so there, there's a whole lot of the other side. If you're really having a dialogue and not a lecture, is that what's coming back? How do you deal with, and I guess you all can speak to this, but this was one of the things that gives me I had nightmares about apparel is essentially like inventory risk, right, where... You're constantly, perpetually in and out of things. How do you, again, modulate your marketing strategy? Because we, we deal with over 5,300 D2C stores, and they are not like you guys where they have a myriad of hero products. They might have like two to four, and if those go out of stock, it becomes, you can get some really weird cash flow quagmires because it just shuts everything down. Do you guys, like, how do you guys deal with kind of skew count, size, when it comes to marketing? I will say that it, life from that perspective, life was a lot easier when I was at Yeti and we had 20 SKUs and it was like, we just make the same thing over and over and it was beautiful. We're the opposite of that now. We do seasons and we might make this same silhouette next season, but it'll be different colors or a different pattern or something. And so truly a lot of ours is time stamped just by, not that it goes out of style, but more just that we're moving on. We're now going to this color or to that color, or to that pattern. And so Ours, we've really adopted a sort of program around we would rather sell out um, than have it hanging around. Even if that means we forego a little bit of that revenue number, but we're also mitigating the risk. And one of the ways that we do that is we launch really in a year, we launch two core seasons, spring and then fall. And then we, but we supplement that with all these special releases. So it usually ends up working around about like 10 a year. So you get these little injections. Those are very much meant to sell out quickly, limited releases. And usually they're either weirder, funkier, or like a collab with another brand or something. And so those have their own little fervor around them in a good way. And that, but it also, it mitigates the, oh, we're going to sell out too early in the season. Now that's a great answer. Let's switch gears a little bit into AI. It's the hottest trending topic right now. And I'm seeing a lot of really clever uses of it. Again, we'll just walk down the line, Michael, Mike, Rick, are you guys using any kind of AI, chat, GPT, anything like that in, in your marketing efforts yet, or still staying on the sidelines? 
I think we've definitely played with it. I mean, we'll we'll like chat GPT scripts about all of our coworkers and some funny, and that's good slack fodder. I, I think uh, one of our marketers in particular, the guy who does our paid social was like really itching to, to do, because we do some like we drive to editorials. So instead of going straight to our homepage, it's some intermediate page that talks about a hook. And I think he started to play with it, but I don't know if we're actually live with one or not. Definitely a lot of potential for it. Yeah, super. Some of it I could even see with some like customer service. And there's already apps that do this where they, you get a question in and if it falls within a certain range of questions where it can identify what it is and it's not like a super sensitive topic, it'll shoot it over for the first touch to be like an AI response. And then there's a way if it can identify if it can't answer and then it kicks it to an agent. So yeah, we haven't yet, but I mean, there's a ton of potential for it. What about you, Mike? Yeah, we've been using it. I, I think it's an incredible tool. It's also scary. Like, we've all seen Terminator. We know how this movie ends. Like, Powerful Scott. So I'm a little nervous about it. But no, one thing with CBD that's really important is SEO. And one way we automate that is we're starting to look into using ChatGPT to build out blogs for us, trying to get the tailwind from all the crazy search volume that comes in Google and different verticals. So for us just quickly building out a bunch of blogs with the right keywords and backlinks and all that to get higher SEO placements, amazing, because then I don't have to hire a copywriter to do it, and it's free and really quick. And what about you, Rick? Yeah, we, uh, we've we started looking at it. I don't think we really kicked it into play yet. It is a it's it is super powerful. I think we will get there. Howler is very much a more of an analog brand in general, and so it's, I don't know, we're worried about shirts fitting right and buttons popping off more than... <laughs> robots writing our copy. But how are the robots going to look in your shirt? You know what's actually interesting is for you guys, they're doing some really cool, uh, basically, AI imagery where you can prompt things where that could be something where you could play around with patterns that are AI generated and then your community votes on what pattern you green light or something versus having to actually take the fabric, cut it, make a prototype. There's some interesting... I also have some people doing ingestion of either reviews, comments, and or and pulling out kind of common pain points, common objections, and then you can mold copy around that. But yeah, I've been blown away by it. It's, it I think it's going to be a new epoch once it all lands where it's pretty interesting. Speaking of new epoch, Bezos just left AWS chief in. We'll start with you, Rick, and then walk down. Are you guys on Amazon at all? And how do you think about Amazon? Because it's such an interesting question to me, for, especially for D2C-focused people. And So we we are not on Amazon. We we did it for a short while. We, which I know is something through experience and, and working with several other CBG brands is that having that direct relationship with your consumer is really massive. And they're the best people to ask and they're the best people to talk to about things. And so we hated not having that and having it being an e-commerce experience. So it wasn't an in-store touch it, feel it experience. And so we hated it and people honestly, like it has its place, but you go to Amazon for convenience and price. You don't go there to find the cool new thing. You go find it elsewhere and maybe go search for it over here because that's convenient and you're trying to save some money. But so for us, it was like, we killed it. We don't even allow our uh, retailers to sell on, we don't allow them to sell on any third party site. You have to own the domain to be able to sell them. For us. Yeah, I love that, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's another vertical. It's a headache for us. CBD is not allowed on there, but hemp is. We can sell water, but you can't sell yep. H2O. It's it, it's the Wild West, too. It's Amazon's a complete shit show, to be honest, because you hop on there and you have 25 million milligram hemp gummies that are 14.95, and they're obviously sourced from China and complete bull. But 
for us, like doing double third-party lab testing and knowing exactly where it's coming from, organic hemp here in the United States is massively important. We're a premium price point. So like you said, in terms of price, if you're looking for a deal, we're not your people. However, one way we are expanding into that is we're going to start launching non-cannabinoid products. So products that Amazon will let us be on for. And that's just really a new customer acquisition tool for me. We've done a great job of building this big brand. And so now I need to like fish in other ponds and getting into more wellness and not just CBD and really focusing on anxiety, sleep, and pain. And what type of products can I integrate into that regardless if it needs CBD or not and the other cannabinoids. So for us, expanding into the wellness line is, I think, how we begin to really scale. That's great. Michael? Yeah, Amazon is super interesting. So to echo your point about if you're an aspirational brand, if you're selling a story, D2C is much more effective. You have the landing page, the hero image, something to draw you in. That's It's a narrative-based shopping experience, whereas Amazon pages all look the same. And so if you're a product with any kind of, yeah, any kind of like aspiration or story to tell that doesn't want to get price tamped, <laughs> and copycats, Amazon stuff. We do sell on Amazon, but we created a whole separate SKU for it. So we're a subscription for D2C, but we created a gift product largely because we saw one of our competitors basically take one of our trademark terms and slap it together with a product and they made like 2 million a year in sales on it. And we were like, okay, cool. Thanks for showing us how, you know, that this is possible. And then we went and spun it up and did like a million the first year on just the gifting product. And then from that product, it's like a little sample pack. From that product, we get about 1% to 3% of those people who sign up for a subscription. So it, to your point, it's like a discovery. It can be a discovery thing. And then what we've seen, if you don't want to compete on price on Amazon, if you offer a lot of variety in one little kit, that's something that drives premium. Like just probably more applicable to you, Mike. But we get like the price per pound of coffee that people pay for our product is it's crazy. Like no one should ever pay that much, but because they get four different samples or eight different samples, so they'll pay it. And there's not a lot of competitors because it's tough for them to do it operationally. And then the last thing Amazon's good for, or sneaky good for, and I didn't realize this until we started like zooming out and figuring out what products we were going to launch next is you can see exactly how many sales happen on a SKU level, on a category level, on a subcategory level. So if you're trying to size where to take your business next, Google will give you search trends, but you don't really know how big a market is. Amazon's sales volume is not only net new sales, but it's also all recurring sales of a given product. So we were able to say, oh, this category within coffee does 2 billion or whatever on Amazon, like quickly rank order opportunities. So if you're ever trying to expand like into a next product line, it's a great way to see it if that is sold on Amazon. We're launching coffee next month. So nice, great. do it. Let's go. Let's go. He gets all the, you can get punched in the face analogies with startups and we'll get the, it's a grind. There's a bunch of good. I will say like we, I mean, there are definitely days where we're like, we should just turn it back on. Let's fire it back up. But then we come back to it and we had all these nightmare copycat. Um, yeah, and we're a very art and a creative forward brand. And so we had, this just as a funny little aside, we had one product that was a sticker pack. And so it had 10 stickers. You get all these 10 stickers. And so the photo was like all 10 stickers laid out on a table or whatever. And it's one photo of 10 actual stickers. And there were some, I'm sure it's bot related or something, but they were just grabbing images, superimposing them on like t-shirts and hats and then selling the shirt items. So this wasn't like they took our t-shirt graphic and superimposed it on another t-shirt. They took the photos of 10 <laughs> stickers with wood zone behind it and superimposed it on this hat. And it was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever Dude, seen. People are ruthless. I lived in Miami for four months and I met four different like 20, 20, 21 year old 
guys that were selling like million plus dollars a year t-shirts like just i was like it was like a whole different ecosystem but that's what they do is like they'll they were doing pop art they would take a picture of yoda and throw some quote and they play the take down notice game anyway love it love to see it yeah i agree with all those takes on amazon i think it can be really interesting you can go where your customers are if you're just bleeding margin where it's like all oh, these people want mad rabbits somewhere in the house i think or i saw them but they had the same kind of epiphany they do tattoo care and they're just tons of search volume people are just taking their money but most people do release like a, a an amazon SKU set i don't know anybody that goes full bore with the whole SKU on amazon okay a couple more questions and then we can get to some crowd questions how do you think and we'll just walk it down again how do you think of the interplay between brand and performance marketing? That's like the hot, hottest topic ever, right? Where our people, it's the ultimate battle, yet a unity that's needed. So give me some color. You're asking a performance guy. Because I used to be <laughs> performance guy as well. And now that I'm in my new role, I, especially with B2B SaaS, just because the conversion cycle is just to- totally different. There's a ton of actual value to like brand awareness. Totally. Yeah. And I'll get at it from like a brand identity and less like brand awareness campaigns because we do very little we do very little spend outside of performance marketing spend but the things that we do try to protect are like we'll never kind of pervert our core product what we sell is you get coffee from a different country every month and so along the journey of getting to our page that's ultimately the hook and the exciting thing that we talk about there's all sorts of stuff like oh what if we did like a theanine whatever to put it that's not on brand it's just that doesn't make cognitive sense for someone who knows our brand but in terms of doing like large-scale pr or things like that like we're looking into that we have a lot of pr connections and affiliate connections PR is a hope don't do it PR is terrible it well I wasted like so much money on PR. It was, it was the worst. You don't pay someone to do it. You have to have someone internally do it. So we've got one of my co-founders actually, he's, he used to work, he used to work at a TV production company. So he would get pitched like 50 to a hundred times a day on different scripts. And so he knows the anatomy of what a good pitch is, what, what would stop and get your attention. And he's sent like from day one, turn that around. And now he's like hanging out with the editors of the New York times. And like, he's just good friends with all these people. And so, I don't know, it's really powerful. But the listicle stuff that you guys do is pretty interesting. And oh, like, yeah, and all the I've been very into this kind of content to commerce play. It's huge. On Frank or the Ridge, he just bought Everyday Carry like a few years ago. It was a massive blog. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's easy to size up opportunities in the affiliate. Yeah, pay to play. Correct. You have a content site for X, yeah. and then well, all the data is available, so exactly. it tells you how many people search for a given thing. Yeah. But before you move on, do you do branded search? Do you buy your own terms? Yes. Nobody touches them, or is there some yeah. sort of ceiling where it's, I'm not going to pay $40 for a click? It's going to be much more expensive for your competitors to do it because you're going to be more relevant. So yeah. you should do branded. So you're like impression share or something like that? You're not really totally going all the way in? It depends. I guess if you're talking about Google, like... Yeah, yeah. Google search. Yeah, we want to be first for yeah. our name. Amazing. Love it. Mike, you're up next. Yeah, for us, it's tricky. We just started dipping into paid, and we need to lead with education first. And that's really important. It not only helps with brand trust, but... It's also we can't sell as direct as we'd want to. But in terms of like the listicles affiliate world, we're really diving into that a lot more because SEO is so damn competitive that I've paid agencies in the past five, 10K a month to do it. And they're like, oh, you went from page three to two and we're working our way up. And I'm like, if it's not the top three, it doesn't matter. Forbes, Healthline, WebMD, they're always going to own that. And the beautiful thing about those models is a lot of them are CPAs. A lot of them are rev shares. So for us, we're like, let's spend that money and on a WebMD article, on a Forbes article, get on these listicles and try to jockey for a position because they all go off like an EPS earnings 
per share model, but it's been a huge channel for us to where normally I was just getting a little bit of trickle and in the red with my SEO to now it's incredibly profitable channel for me and they eat what they kill, which when you're a small business and not venture backed is massive. I agree with that. And I love the eat what, what you kill framework anyways, and it becomes real obvious of who's good and who's not. Do you, Mike, run branded search as well? I don't anymore. No defensive buys. You just let it land where it lands. No. We... But you're this top search result. I'm guessing if I search Soul CBD, it's just not like people bid on the page. We are the top. We have a competitor out of Australia that's doing some black hat stuff that we're having a lot of trouble getting mm-hmm. them to take down because we have earlier pending trademarks and everything. So that's a whole nightmare in and of itself. But we are the top one. Okay, amazing. Rick, do you guys run Brandon? The accent doesn't carry over. <laughs> No, just side joke there. So we're going into Australia. There's like a literal localization that needs to be done for Australia, even though it's an English speaking country. It's wild. There's like a whole nother culture. It's really interesting. We definitely buy. Brandon. Yeah. Control F. Yeah. Find and replace you with mate. Yeah, exactly. What's up, mate? Copy and pasta that. Down and down. Localization is that. I see you guys do run some branded as well. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, same here. We run off impression here, so we don't, we used to own it. And to your point, I think it's, Rick, more important to really set the stage first and then really start to own it because you're more fragile at the beginning than the end. Like now everybody knows what triple oil is, et cetera, et cetera. They know that this is some little scammy ad in the ads. So we backed off to impression share, but at the beginning we were spending a lot of money to keep people off our terms. Because right, If I were launching today, I would not. Yeah. I would wait. I Love would rather spend that money building yeah, I love that. And followers, subscribers, or yeah. customers, and then come in. Because the other guys, your competitors, and the whoever you're duking, we duke it out most with our retailers. Yeah, really oh, interesting, retailers. like a Nordstrom or something. It's, but in, until you reach a certain threshold, like, I'm not worried about you. Love that. You're just a little gnat yeah. flying around. Yep. But we, so our retailers are, and some bigger brands can dictate terms to like nike can dictate yep. what footlocker can do on yep. search but we can't we don't have that leverage yeah we just had to be smart and nimble and shoot a lot of our retailers have a lot bigger budgets than we do right That's so but they're effectively trading off your name which you allow them to do by selling the product but how and where is a little different yeah yeah, that makes tons of sense. Let's do a few rapid fire questions and then we'll open it up to the crowd. We'll start with you again, Michael, Mike, and then Rick. What's your marketing mix? What are you, Facebook, Google, TikTok, what's that? And just like rough percentages, you don't have to give absolutes. Yeah, it's probably 35% Facebook, 25% affiliate, and the rest is probably, I'm going to cheat. The rest is probably Google AdWords. Some Google. Yes. No TikTok? No, we haven't messed with TikTok yet, although we're going to start soon. Organic? Or nothing. Oh, organics, yeah. You guys organics probably like ten to fifteen percent. Yeah, that's brand, but yeah, yeah. And we rank really well for our terms, but they're just not. They don't get a ton of traffic. Yeah, amazing. So Facebook affiliate, Google are your top three acquisition channels that are paid. Definitely top. Yeah, definitely top three paid. Amazing. That's awesome. What about you, Mike? I would say it's spread out. Seventy five percent of it, maybe twenty five each, give or take. The flow is a Facebook affiliate. Although affiliates going to start taking off even more. More than your Facebook. Dude, we've just realized how incredible the channel it is yeah. and how you can immediately get on these listicles yeah. and you have WebMD is backing you yeah. and it you didn't pay for all that brand recognition that a yeah. brand like WebMD brings in as so much more brand recognition than we do. And then influencers, it's the worst game to play because they're getting more and more expensive and think they deserve more and more. And we've had a really interesting route with influencers to where 
we're doing less of just pay and you're a billboard to, hey, why don't you work with us and collaborate on a product? And do you want me to pay you $10,000 for a couple posts? Or how would you like to make a hundred grand? And we could show you how to do that if you sell X many units and you show your audience it's authentic. You're not just doing obviously hashtag taste. So for us, like we have two different lines that absolutely made the company explode because I went to them and I showed them the path to make 10x what they were going to make. Just trust me, trust the process. You're going to post more, but you're going to essentially be able to create a brand without worrying about capital, fulfillment, anything. I'll handle all that. I'll give you a small rev share, but you're going to make more money on this end. So it's a win-win situation. So we've gone real ham on influencers. Yeah, I love that. So you said, what was your top three again? Uh, Facebook affiliate, affiliate influencers. influencers. And then I say the rest is scattered between Google ads, which we can do if it's called hemp. Yeah. No ticky talkies. I'm struggling with TikTok. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing TikTok yet. We're starting Twitter this month. Yeah. They're matching one-to-one for CPA yeah, yeah, brands. Yeah. Oh, and then just our DSP. Like we use trade desks. So programmatic display, like yeah. the very bottom of funnel for sales. Yeah. SOG. Rick, what about you? What's the market mm -hmm. look like? I couldn't tell you the percentages this month. It shifts. It's yeah. pretty fluid depending on time of year and what we have going on and what we're, what the current offering is what, versus what the weather is. Yeah. And it changes by geographies. Yeah. But largely it's Google and Facebook. Because do you ever outspend Facebook with Google? Yeah, sometimes. Really? It's interesting. I know TikTok. We've messed around with it, but it's not a, it's not even really worth mentioning. I'll give Triple Whale a shout out. We were spending way too much money on Facebook. Yeah. And the platform data was giving yeah. us crazy ROAS. And, and we learned that will Zuckerberg's lying to us. Yeah. And so you, because of you, we were able to allocate money in different areas that really helped. I mean, there's people helping people. That is not, I, I'll, that I'll is not a paid that, plug either. What I would say is if you're spending on digital, you are fooling yourself if you believe they're the you number of things. 100%. You are, you are just such a sucker you'll get so what you need is triple whale and they what it does is it pulls it all together and it gives you a sober honest attribution and without that they all tell you that they brought you that customer yeah and that's four sales reps telling you they closed that same mm -hmm. sale and it's so annoying it's exacerbating exacerbated even more if you have great email because then that just then the emails actually close well, and then it gets into some really email is huge quiet mario gets into some really like spots claiming it you're like She's been sitting here the whole time. <laughs> how, how are you going to tell me you brought her in here? I was just triple. I'll give you ad set data. Yeah. 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 Okay. So on, on top of just what channels are working, if you're trying to test a bunch of creative, yeah. so we have this problem. Facebook and platform is garbage. Yeah, Facebook good. and platform. They're going to say you made a sale. They're going to say your cost per acquisition is 50 bucks. It might be 200. It might be 150, but more important than that. I mean, it's okay if it's actually that high, how are you going to navigate it to being lower without knowing what creative is working within Facebook? Like, how are you going to, how would you know? And so knowing not only your cost per acquisition on a campaign level or at platform level, you should be able to find it out on an ad set level. Yes. How are you going to make better ads? Exactly. We don't use triple, so we have to do all sorts of crazy yeah. stuff to, to get that answer. the dark side. Come on. I know. We're getting there. We're the recharge integration is getting finished. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's See? what we can talk. Yeah. Exactly. How amazing are these guys? It's so amazing. Okay, folks. I think we're a little bit over time. So you have been incredible. Give it up for these wonderful panelists up here. Amazing. Mike, you're the man. Thank you so much. Go check out Trip Whale, tripofthewhale.com. We have a wonderful newsletter every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Bell. Tripofthewhale.com slash whale Thank you, everybody. Yes. Go, tri go check out Triple Whale. Thanks, everyone, for coming. <laughs>